turning your Bibles this morning to John chapter 2 within God's Word this morning as we continue with our new Easter series, Seven Steps to Glory. And you see the cross up here. This is where we're moving through the miracle ministry of Jesus, step by step, Sunday by Sunday, until we arrive at the cross the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. We want to make your Easter come alive as never before here at Lakeside. By the way, where did the miracle ministry of Jesus begin? Did it begin at the temple? Was it at a stadium before thousands of people with a miracle crusade? Was it in a cemetery, raising the dead, where did the miracle ministry of Jesus, where did it begin? At a wedding. At a common, ordinary, everyday wedding where Jesus wasn't even the center of attention. Jesus wasn't just a guest. And more specifically, his miracle ministry did not begin at the wedding ceremony, but at the wedding reception that everybody loves to go to. One of my pet peeves as a pastor is nobody comes to the wedding any longer. They all show up at the reception. Jesus is at the wedding reception. At your basic Jewish wedding reception, there was an average, scholars tell us, of about 50 guests. Remember that. About 50 guests. It must have been a relative to Jesus. It must have been someone related to Jesus because when you read the Bible passage, his mother, Mary, is really involved in all the arrangements, making sure the, dot, the uh, I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Suddenly, in the middle of the reception, the groom's parents begin to panic. The groom himself uh, is in shock, and, and we see the tears rolling down uh, the cheeks of the bride as she begins to sob. What has happened? What's the problem? What has occurred at this wedding feast, this reception? I'll tell you, an ancient no-no, a real problem, a potential embarrassment, they're about to be the laughing stock of the whole region. What's the major no-no that you did not want to have happen at your wedding reception in those ancient times? What was the major embarrassment? It is such a problem that the parents of the groom could be sued for this under ancient Jewish law. They had run out of wine. Oh, you read the Bible. They'd run out of wine. They were empty. They were empty. Do you know what it's like to be empty? Uh, Jerry Kozak was up here as a, a new deacon uh, serving uh, uh, communion with your pastor. Jerry, do you remember my big problem back in phase two, building phase two? I was real forgetful about something, and you gave me a can at a celebration, when we finished phase two, that building program, you gave me a can. What kind of a can was that? 
Do you remember? You don't remember, brother. You gave me a five-gallon can because I had become so forgetful under the stress of that phase two building program. It was a gas can because I kept, I was so stressed out over our phase two building program, our chapel, our gymnasium, our classrooms, I kept running out of gas with my car. Reminds me of Catholic nuns that ran out of gas on the side of the road. And those Catholic nuns walked all the way to the gas station, and the only container they could find to put gasoline in was a big old beer bottle. They walked with that beer bottle full of gasoline back to their empty car, and as they were emptying the contents of that beer bottle into their car alongside of the road, a Baptist, a Baptist pastor stopped and rolled down his window and said, Sisters, sisters, I know we've had our doctrinal religious differences, but I sure do admire your faith. Do you find yourself running on empty this morning? It might be a financial emptiness, a physical emptiness. It might be a family emptiness. Perhaps love, love's sweet wine in your marriage has run dry and you're running on empty in your marriage. Maybe it's a bitter disappointment that's robbed you of your joy, leaving you feeling empty. The wedding hosts, the wedding hosts don't know what to do. Back here in John chapter 2, the parents of the groom are confronted with a problem they have no solution for. All they know is that they're on empty. What do you do when you don't know what to do? John chapter 2 verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, which was a sign of respect in that day, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His time that he's talking about was his cross and resurrection. Jesus is not declining to help. He's saying my revelation of salvation is not ready yet. But he was ready to perform the miraculous and meet the need. So in John 2, 5, his mother went to the servants, and she said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. If you're ready, if you're ready to do whatever our Lord tells you to do this morning, then that's my sermon title this morning. God's best is coming into your life. May God bless the ministry of his word here this morning. If you're following along in a sermon study guide, fill in the blank with me this morning. Note that Jesus didn't tell the servants to run to the neighbors for more wine. He didn't tell them to run to Kroger's, Walmart, uh, the grocery store for more wine. He didn't tell them to go out into the wine press and start stomping more grapes to get more wine. What did Jesus tell them to do? Jesus told them to go and get water. Wow. 
Verse 6, nearby stood six-tone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Circle those two words, ceremonial washing. Each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. I want you to note three things that John John wants us to consider that John, the gospel writer, emphasizes. First, he emphasizes the size of these stone water pots as being 20 to 30 gallons. Do a little math. Six water pots at 20 to 30 gallons equals how much total? 120 to 130 gallons. Number two, John wants us to note the use of these water jars. The water contained in these pots is not to be used for drinking. It's to be used for washing. Ceremonial washing. The Jews, by the law of Moses, had to wash three times a day, their hands and their feet. So the water used in these pots is used for washing so that the Jews would not be defiled. It was part of the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, Old Testament rules and regulations to wash the outward man as a sign of holiness. Number three, I want you to notice that John emphasized the fact that the servants obeyed Jesus down to the very letter and filled up those water pots to the brim. Fill in the blank with me. Jesus' power, think of it. Jesus could have filled every cup at that wedding feast, but he didn't. Because repeatedly throughout the Bible, our Lord desires to have people do what? Participate with the miraculous. The Lord wants you to be a part of of the miracle. We see this over and over and over again in the Bible. Those servants participated in Jesus' first miracle by trusting him and by obeying him and acting on his word. If you want to be like the servants, if you want to participate in a miracle breakthrough in your life, be prepared not only to trust the Lord, but to act upon the promises in God's word. There is a part for you to play. For instance, do you need a job? Do you want a promotion at your place of work? Do you want to make more money for, to meet your needs? What is your part to do? Trust God. You saw the scripture verse at offering time. God gives us the power to get wealth. He is the one that desires to promote you. My Bible declares in Jeremiah 29, 11, my Bible declares that our God, the Lord, desires to promote you, to prosper you, and not to harm you, to give you a hope, and to give you a future. Your part, if you need a job, or if you need a promotion at your place of work, is to trust God. But don't stop there. Some people trust God and sit back on their blessed assurance in their holy lazy boy recliner and say, okay, God, I trust you. I've got faith. I believe, I believe, I believe. And you're waiting for the phone to ring. 
You're waiting for that company to knock upon your door for that management position. You're waiting for somebody to wake you up out of your recliner and say, hey, you're going to be the president of our company. Hey, God don't work that way. Real faith, real faith, real faith puts things into motion. Real faith is not just in your head and your heart. It gets in your feet. If you're walking and talking in real faith, you believe what God's word says. Faith without works is dead. <laughs> There's something for you to do. Trust God and then go knocking on doors. Trust God and start getting your contacts in order. Trust God and make some phone calls. Trust God and make out a resume. Trust God and be the best employee you can be. And let somebody promote you as they see you being faithful in being a good employee before God. You see that? There is a part for you to play in this thing called faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, the Bible says. And faith without works is dead. <laughs> There's a part for you to play in the miraculous. Do what you can do by faith and obedience, and that releases God to do what only a God can do, and that's to move your mountains. That's expectation faith. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus' first miracle reveals a repeated biblical principle that God not only meets our needs, he loves us so much, he wants to overbless us. I've never seen that word used anywhere by a writer. That's my new word. I just invented it. I hope you enjoy it. I came up with it last night, and I wrote it down. God wants to overbless us. God wants to overbless us. Look at verse 8. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of ceremonies, the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet, he tasted the water that had been turned into, what? Wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Notice that Jesus orders them to take some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. We don't hear the servants saying, are you crazy taking cleansing water, water for washing, and use it for drinking? That would be a defilement. That, that would be like uh, uh, showing up uh, uh, at your wedding reception or having people over to your house for a party and pulling out the garden hose and filling up every cup with water from the garden hose. Did the servants resist Jesus with that? Did the servants say, uh, uh, now Jesus, we believe in you, but don't you think we should do some taste testing first? Don't you think we should take a sip first uh, before we cause a real embarrassment? No, we don't hear that at all. In fact, I don't believe that when they drew water out of those stone water pots that it had turned to wine yet. I don't believe it turned to wine until the servants came with the water and as they began pouring into the cup of the master of ceremonies, then and there it turned into wine. Because God wanted them to act on their faith. God wanted trust uh, and belief to be at work to bring about the miracle. The water was turned into wine. And then how much, how much, 
how much wine did Jesus create to be available at that wedding feast? Do the math. There was approximately 50 guests. We've got 120 to 180 gallons. That means 2.4 uh, to 3.6 gallons of wine for each guest. That was a happy affair. <laughs> Please, no emails, no letters tomorrow morning uh, whatsoever. This church has a conviction that with its membership, we're a teetotaling church. And that's not the purpose of this message here this morning. Uh, we need to take a stand one way or the other. My wife and I, the Assemblies of God, this church, we do not believe in opening the door to drinking. You open that door, you open that door then to a lot of temptation. You open the door, hear me, to killing somebody while you're driving, to allowing your children to become alcoholics, because you take an inch as a sipping saint, they'll take a mile. We're a non-drinking church here. Do I condemn those that, that do drink uh, socially? No, not whatsoever. They, they'll stand before God. I just know that if I don't open that door, I don't open the door to a host of problems. In my life, the next time I'm depressed or I'm discouraged, I don't open my door to, to addiction or open it up for my children or my children's children. That's the stand that we take here at Lakeside Assembly. But that's not my sermon. My point here is, this was not a one-glass, two-straw experience. This was not a halfway miracle. This was more than a full miracle. This was an over-blessing. This was an abundant provision, an abundant supply. This is a repeated principle throughout the word of God. God not only meets the need, but he grants a surplus. Look what the apostle Paul said. Now glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of infinitely beyond our highest prayers, beyond our desires, beyond our thoughts, beyond our hopes. Oh, give praise to him this morning who abundantly exceeds our wildest expectations. The God of surplus. There's no need on earth that can exhaust the supply of God. He gives, he gives, he gives, he gives, he gives, and still there's an endless supply waiting for you and I. Fill in the blank, Jesus' first miracle. I want you to note this. It wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't an accident. It was not a haphazard event. It represented the core of his ministry to fill empty vessels. There's an emptiness that goes beyond physical need. You've tried pleasure. You've tried prosperity. You've tried popularity. And you keep coming up empty. It does not fill the whole that God has created in your heart a hole that only God is meant to fill. You've tried to fill that hole with food from the refrigerator or watching endless TV. 
and it doesn't satisfy. You've tried it with relationships. You've tried it with traveling here, there, and everywhere. And you yet have to find, you haven't found contentment yet. You haven't found satisfaction yet. I've heard countless testimonies as a pastor of people who had empty lives. And then they met Jesus. I said, then they met Jesus. And there came a new joy. <laughs> there came a new walk, a new bounce in their step. There came a new peace. There came a new love. There came a new attitude about tomorrow. There came a new confidence. There came that new promise. I know that I know that I know that Jesus is my Savior and heaven is my home. Hallelujah. Jesus is in the business of filling empty lives. Jesus is the one who said, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. As the scriptures have said, he that believes in me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus is in the business of filling empty lives. Oh, write it down. Jesus' miracle of turning water into wine revealed God's new ministry of the inward over the outward. Grace instead of law. Look at those water pots, those stone water pots. All six of them represented the Old Testament. The old way of doing things. God's law. God's regulations. God's rules. The outward uh, semblance of holiness versus the inward. But Jesus was there to do a new thing. I said Jesus was there to do a, a new thing. What was the first plague that Moses performed? What was the first miracle in Egypt, when the ten plagues came down, what was the first miracle that Moses performed with the power of God? He turned the water into blood as a sign of judgment. But when Jesus comes on the scene, <laughs> it's a new dispensation. It is not the Old Testament. It is now the New Testament. Jesus doesn't turn the water into blood. Jesus turns the water into wine, symbolizing the joy of the Holy Spirit to fill us and to empower us. Let me reveal a truth to you that many of you might not be aware of. What is the symbol of the Holy Spirit? Most people say the dove. But did you know that wine in the Bible is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit, especially the joy of the Holy Spirit in our lives on the day that God breathed the Holy Spirit upon planet Earth, and the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost as the sound of a mighty rushing wind. The Bible says in Acts 1.8 uh, uh, that Jesus said, but ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. 
And on the day when the Spirit did come, what happened? Acts 2, 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the words or the utterance. Have you yet been filled with the Holy Spirit? On that day of days, the Bible says that some that were foreigners heard their own languages being spoken by those being filled with the Holy Spirit, and they said, we can hear them praising God. We can hear them worshiping the mighty wonders of God. But then there was another group. They said, look, they're speaking gibberish. They're speaking unknown languages. Look at them, they're kind of staggering. Look at them, they're smiling. Look at how joyful. And so what did they count it down to? What did they sum it up as? Oh, look at Acts chapter 2, or Acts 1.13. Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. That should be Acts 2.13. Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. Have you received the new wine of the Holy Spirit? Have you received the new joy of the Holy Spirit? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God has sent his Holy Spirit not as a saving experience, but as an empowering experience. He'll give you power to live a holy life. Power, hallelujah, for ministry. Power to be a witness. Power to speak in God's language. Power for prayer. Power for your praise and worship. It is an empowering experience open to every believer. Hallelujah. I'm talking about the new wine. Have you tasted the new wine of the Holy Spirit? You might be here this morning and you feel like one of those dried up, hollow, old stone pots. And maybe it's been years since you've experienced anything fresh from God. Maybe it's been a long time since you've experienced anything new from the Lord. I've got good news for you. God stands ready. I said God stands ready to fill you with brand new wine. He stands ready to fill you with the joy of his Holy Spirit. There'll come a new bounce in your step. There'll come a new squaring of your shoulders. There'll come a new smile upon your face. Uh, God has given his spirit to be the satisfaction that you're longing for, the anointing. I believe with our Word and Spirit conference that's coming up, uh, I believe that a latter rain is coming. I believe that an outpouring is coming. I believe that a fresh anointing of God the Holy Spirit. I believe new wine is going to be poured out at our Word and Spirit conference. Even this morning, God wants to do a fresh thing, a new touch, a fresh anointing in your life. When I was growing up, we used to sing, Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup. Fill it up and make me whole. Is that the prayer of your heart this morning? Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Fill it up and make me whole. Jesus' miracle, though, was not just one of quantity. I want you to get a hold of this. When Jesus turned the water into wine, 
It was not just a miracle of quantity. It was a miracle of quality. He not only turned the water into wine, he turned it into the best wine. <laughs> he turned it into the best wine. John chapter 2, verse 9, Then the master of the ceremonies called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. <laughs> you have saved the best for last. Oh, can you say that with me? You have saved the best till now. Amen. How does the devil work, though? Mark it down. What's the devil's strategy? How does the devil work? The devil always gives the best first and then his worst. He gives the best to hook you, to bait you, to capture you, and then he destroys you. We see this throughout the Bible. Take the prodigal son, for example. Satan baited the prodigal son with prosperity and then partying and then prostitutes the best, the way the prodigal son saw it, and then what came in. He woke up and where? In the pig pen. He went from prosperity, prostitutes, and parting to the pig pen. And that's just the way he works today. Talk to any drug addict. A drug addict is a perfect example of the devil's strategy of the best and then the worst. I've talked to many. I've looked them in the eyes as tears have streamed down their cheeks while they're still addicts, while they're still hooked. Pastor, the first time I had crack cocaine, the first time I had that shot of heroin, the first time I had that meth, it was like heaven. It was the greatest high. It was the greatest buzz you could ever experience. It felt like heaven. But now I'm living in hell. Have you ever seen the before and after pictures of meth addicts? It symbolizes Satan's plan to destroy. Jesus said he's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's plan to have the best and then the worst. Look at two and a half years later, this young lady. Next picture. Look at this teenager. One and a half years later. Next picture. Look at this young man. Next picture. Look at this young woman. Look at Satan's plan. Age 23 and then age 25. Take the picture off, please. Satan's strategy, Satan's plan, the devil's plan is to give you the best, the greatest high. Then he's got you hooked as he sends you to hell. But when you come to Jesus, oh, when you come to Jesus, for the one who commits their life and their heart to Jesus, it just keeps getting better. <laughs> it is just progressively better. <laughs> but for the one who commits their life to a personal relationship with Jesus, life is experiencing God's progressive best in your life each and every day. You can walk through each and every day and say, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. It's just going to get better. God's best is coming. That's right. Think of it at salvation. You're justified. You're pronounced 
More than not guilty, you're pronounced innocent just as though you had never sinned. At salvation, we are sanctified. We're set apart from sin, and we're set apart to God's holy use. We are made holy. We are chosen. We are no longer a child of the devil. We are now a son and a daughter of the Most High God. We are king's kids. We're not only justified. We're not only sanctified. Honey, it gets better. We are then baptized. We are baptized in water as a sign of an inward work with an outward cleansing. We are baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's an empowering experience, not a saving experience, but it gets better. We're not just justified, sanctified, and baptized. We are glorified. We are glorified. There is a new hope. There is a new blessing. There is a new calling. There is a new destiny. There is a new life that is before us. Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new, the new, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not yet what I'm going to be. It's just going to get better. It's going to get better. I'm talking new life in Jesus. It just keeps getting better for the believer who moves in God confidence instead of self-confidence. You know what I mean by self-confidence. When the world is in financial need, they put their hope in the bank. They put their hope in the automotive economy. They put their faith in their company, Wall Street or, or Washington. But the Christian is able to put our faith in the one who has said, all the silver and all the gold is mine. The earth is my footstool. The cattle on the thousand hill, I own them. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. The world, when it comes to health and healing, they put their faith and their trust in pills, doctors, and hospitals. But Christian, if you're sick here this morning, Christian, if you're afflicted with cancer this morning, you've got something far greater. Hallelujah. You don't have to put your faith just in a doctor. You can put your faith in Dr. Jesus. He's still the mighty healer. He's still the great physician. And by his stripes, you are healed. He is Jehovah Rophe. I am the Lord who heals you. For security, for protection, the world puts all their trust in insurance, auto insurance, home insurance, life insurance. And all those insurances provide what if you have a loss? Replacement value. But when the Christian experiences loss, they can move with a restoration expectation. Do you know what I mean by a restoration expectation, Christian? Do you know what that means to have a restoration mentality? It means if you have suffered loss, loss financially, loss physically, loss with your family. If you have experienced loss, keep trusting God. Keep trusting God. Have an expectation, a restoration expectation. Throughout the Bible, repeatedly, we see this principle that as we trust the Lord <laughs> through our loss, he not only restores what we lost, but we get back double return. <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> it gets better. As you come out of it, trust 
trusting the Lord, you can see restoration take place in your life. Oh, this is not this is not abstract, conceptual speaking here from your pastor this morning. I'm talking about Job. I'm talking about David. I'm talking about Esther. I'm talking about Ruth. I'm talking about Daniel. I'm talking about Joseph. And name after name in the Bible, they experienced loss, but they came out of their loss, not only regaining what they had lost, but they came out with a double portion. The double portion. The double portion. Move in a restoration mentality. Move in God confidence. And watch what the Lord will do in your life. Plus, when was the last time you went to AAA and you sat down with your AAA agent and said, you know, I not only want insurance on the house, the cars, the boat, but I want you to sell me insurance against the enemy, the devil. I dare you to go in and do that. <laughs> what a great witness. Only, 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 only our Jesus who turns the water into wine, hallelujah, can give you victory over the enemy. Jesus said in Luke 10, I have given you authority to overcome all the power, not some power, all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. The God-confident, those who move with restoration, expectation, the God-confident can say, God's on the throne, and everything's going to be all right. Hallelujah. It just keeps getting better. God's best is coming into my life. Hallelujah. Oh, it just keeps getting better when we realize that we are God's workmanship. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He is the potter, and we are the clay. The word workmanship implies that you and I are not yet a finished project. Hallelujah. God's still working on you, and God is still working on me. Sometimes he molds, Sometimes he sands, you know, uses sandpaper. Sometimes he smooths out rough edges. But either way, he is working into your life and my life a masterpiece. We are a work in progress. Don't get bogged down with your past. Stop looking backwards. Stop living in the regrets of yesterday. Stop looking in the rearview mirror of life. As long as the devil can get you looking backwards, you'll make no progress in God. If you've blown it, if you've failed, if you have sinned, ask Jesus to forgive you. And then get up, shake yourself off, and move on in the walk of faith. Move on in the fight of faith. Keep living for God like there's no tomorrow. Pull out the stops. We're in God's two-minute warning. Hallelujah. This world's coming to an end. We don't have enough time to worry about yesterday. Start thinking about tomorrow and how you can be a blessing to others and a blessing to God's work. God never dwells in our faults. God doesn't focus on our sins. He focuses on the things that we do right. If you have failed him, ask for grace. But don't beat yourself up and live in condemnation or the devil will have the victory. 
There may be some things in your life you're not happy about. There might be some habits you need to break. But remember, you're God's workmanship. You're moving towards being his masterpiece. You're a masterpiece in progress, and the best is yet to come. Christ followers realize that life, this life, is not all there is. And the Lord has truly saved the best for last. The best for life. What am I talking about? I've just signed up again. I hate to admit it. I've just signed up again for physical therapy. I never knew that thought this day would come. And I'm back two days a week now in physical therapy on my shoulder, my right shoulder. Pray that it heals up fast and I won't have to go there. I believe that if you believe it's God's will that you be healed, that you'll pray, you'll trust God, but you'll also go to doctors. If you don't believe it's God's will for healing, then don't pray and don't go to doctors. I've gone back to physical therapy for my shoulder, and Dr. Mike asked me, and he said, what are you doing back here again? What's your problem? How'd you screw up your shoulder? I said, well, I've been doing all kinds of push-ups, and I've been running on the treadmill with barbells in each hand. He said, that's how you did. Stop doing that. He said, why have you been doing that? I said, because I contracted the furniture disease. He said, what's the furniture disease? I said, it's the disease where your chest falls into your drawers. <laughs> I hate getting older. Oh, I despise it. You know you're getting older. You know you're getting older when the candles cost more than the cake. You know you're getting older when there's more hair growing in your ears than on your head. You know you're getting older when your mind makes commitments your body can't keep. You know you're getting older when the little gray-haired lady that you help across the street happens to be your wife. <laughs> you know you're getting older when you have too much room in the house and not enough room in the medicine cabinet. You know you're getting older when you turn off the lights for economic reasons instead of turning out the lights for romantic reasons. You know you're getting older when you sit down in a rocking chair and you just can't get it going. You know you're getting older when everything hurts and what doesn't hurt just doesn't work any longer. You know you're getting older when you sink your teeth into a, a meaty steak and they stay there. You know you're getting older when your knees buckle and your belt won't. <laughs> you know you're getting older when you begin to realize that your body, your body's worth a fortune. Silver in your hair, gold in your teeth, stones in your kidney, lead in your feet, and gas in your stomach. Hey, you're rich! But it's more than old age, isn't it? I said it's more than old age. It's the brevity of life. It is said, a little work, a little sleep, a little loving, and then it's all over. But for the Christian, Paul the Apostle said, though our bodies are dying, 
Our inner strength in the Lord is growing every day. So we do not look at the troubles all around us, but we look forward to the joys in heaven which we have not yet seen. The troubles will soon be over, but the joys to come, they will last forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, honey, it's just going to get better. The Christian knows that God has saved the best for last. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Because he lives, you and I, we can really live. Uh, Think about it. Uh, One day, one day, the eastern skies will unzip. uh, And he will descend from heaven with a shout. uh, With the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye and we will be caught up to be with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and evermore would you give him praise and glory God's best God's best I said God's best is coming hallelujah would you stand up with him Stand up with me this morning and let's give him praise. He's worthy of praise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God's best is coming. I don't know about you, but between now and then, between now and then, I'm going to walk with him by faith but then I shall see him as he is and he'll no longer be by faith but face to face what a day that will be when our Jesus we shall see between now and then I want more I know I'm your pastor but I want more I want more of the new wine. I want more of his spirit. I want more of his anointing. I want more of his love flowing through my life. I want more of his empowering. My prayer is, fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven. Feed me until I want no more. Fill it up. I lift it up. Make me whole. If that's your prayer this morning, if you want more from God, I'm going to open up these altars. Some of you need a divine touch of healing in your bodies. Some need a miracle breakthrough this morning. And some like me, you just need more new wine. (laughs) If you're a candidate for new wine, would you come right now and join me as the team sings this morning? Hallelujah. Lord, I lift Everybody, come, come, come. Come and quench 